Yeah, I fucking pee when I sit down some... I fucking sit down when I pee sometimes, okay? I'm not... I'm not less of a man because of it. I'm not less of a man just because sometimes I like to take a load off when I pee. I don't want to be standing when I'm... When I'm peeing, I want to relax a little bit when I pee, so I sit down. Is that just a fucking crime? Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you're listening to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, G. Simon. I'm the Uber host, Kate Rambo. Hello. Okay, Rambo, I don't know if you could tell by uh, my voice, but I am fucking hung over today. So, some more nasal than usual. Oh, God. It was my birthday Ugh. yesterday. Um, and uh, I really appreciated the uh, flattering posts that you put up on uh, Facebook um, and everybody's uh, comments. I really appreciate it as well. But yeah, we got fucking wasted last night. I went over and met some friends to watch the 49ers game. Uh, the 49ers um, were playing Green Bay. Who was favored to win, and uh, they were dominating all. They were dominating the whole game up until the very end with a field goal, like the last four seconds. It's like it's so rare that you ever see a football game like that. But the whole place went fucking nuts. Everyone's like, it's so weird the the camaraderie. Like there's a group of people we never met any any of them before. They're buying us Patron shots. Like they bought our whole table Patron shots. Two rounds. How much money did that cost? Yeah, totally. I was like, God, you are so wasted. Tomorrow you're gonna be like, what the fuck? I spent three hundred bucks at this bar. Yeah, <laughs> but there. I mean, it was cool. It's just gr- what growing men hugging him- themselves and like crying together because they were so excited. Nothing, about nothing this, homosexual um... about football. I think it's probably. <laughs> I think uh, it's probably as straight as wrestling is in some ways. You know, I, it's hard to think of something like less gayer than football. I mean, the, even the quarterback has his hands under the on the taint. Of the center when he gets the ball, so it's, yeah, it's American every football play. is way gayer than British football, and way gayer than rugby too. I think. Oh yeah, and rugby's pretty high on the gay scale. That's pretty, but it's still. I don't think. I, I mean, I don't know that much about rugby, but I don't think they start each play with their hands on the guy's nuts. I think they want to. <laughs> but the whole time, I was I was nervous. I was nervous the whole time. Nervous a because of the game. Obviously, there's some anxiety there. I wanted the Forty ers to win. Um, but mainly nervous because my sister had Taco Bell delivered to me uh, by Postmates for uh, for oh. my birthday, which was really cool. You know, I was uh, I was I was genuinely uh, surprised. Um, but she had these. Uh, she went and got like my. I usually get one thing. I've talked about this before. I always get a bean burrito because it's only like two different. It's like red, brown, and a little bit of cheese. You can't really fuck that up. And once you start getting weird things or new things on the Taco Bell menu. That's when you get diarrhea. But I always think you have to try the new the new things because you could be missing out on like a, a taste sensation. You've got to you've got to run the gauntlet of diarrhea. A lot of people get excited about that, but I, I'm telling you, you're playing Russian Russian roulette with a diarrhea gun, and I'm not. I'm pretty. I'm not down pretty with it. Safe with the diarrhea gun because I've got an iron stomach. So if I get sick off a of food, then no one should ever eat that food. Well, you might be fine with it. But anyway, my sister got me this like new burrito supreme. It's this new burrito supreme thing that they made. I've never had it before. Even has like a like a flashy like kind of 
gaudy tinfoil wrapping. And so mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. I tried it. It was weird. Tasted weird. Almost was like deep fried, like a quesadilla. Um, but I was, you know, I was because I was definitely alarmed. I'm eating it and I'm thinking, this is going to give me diarrhea. I'm going to get diarrhea at a fucking bar, at a sports bar, no less, which is like one of the worst places you can get diarrhea at. Actually, I would think that would be one of the bars that is equipped for men who have diarrhea. Kind of, but th- these are, right? the, I, I kind of figured this is going to be the type of place that no door on the stall because it was ripped <laughs> off, no seat on the toilet because it was ripped off, and just like you're going to have to hover and just like spray shit out of your ass. So I was very nervous. You know, it ended up happening, uh, I didn't end up getting diarrhea, so... That's good. Yeah. Well so. done for you and your digestive system, which is like obviously old and can now withstand like a nuclear bomb. Kind of. I mean, I was I was actually kind of I was rather surprised. So I think there's some now. I guess I can expand my Taco Bell horizons. Was there fries? No, but there were churros. Did you have the churros? Not not a big fan. I'm not a big well, fan. So of the Taco what? You Bell just churros. threw them away. No, they're just in my, I still have, she got me like eight burritos. I still have a bunch left. I <laughs> I'm like not going to have Taco Bell for like, all I ate yesterday, put it this way, was Taco Bell. And then I drank what? a lot. And that's why Great I'm surprised even today. I'm, yeah, no, it's good hangover food. I haven't actually, uh, haven't been hungry today yet. So maybe, I, maybe I'll eat some later. I have enough. But yeah, there's still like churros in there. And some kind of like these like little donut holes, which is weird. Yeah, the whole of a, the inside of a donut. Yeah, but I didn't Dough even know balls. Taco Bell sold. I knew I knew they sold churros. I didn't know they sold donut holes. I don't know if that's a new thing. Stephanie just like picked a bunch of random shit on the menu. She's like, "Yeah, it's all vegan and vegetarian." So I figured you might like it. I'm hungry. It was <laughs> I want good. some of these burritos. But it was good. Good night out, hanging out with some old friends. Everybody, uh, we tipped our glasses to Harrison. We uh, we definitely um and did a couple shots in tribute. Um. Those of you who aren't on social media might not have actually heard uh, the news that I uh, posted this past week, but uh, Harrison was found dead by the LAPD in his Hollywood apartment a few weeks ago. Not quite sure the exact date, but I think it was shortly before Christmas. Um, I knew about it at the time, but I was asked by his family not to announce it publicly until this past Monday. Um, and so I posted about it on uh, Facebook. Um, as it stands right now, I don't think there's an official cause of death but I was told that it was not suicide because uh, okay. I saw a bunch of people some, you know, conjecturing that it might have been suicide. It, it wasn't. Yeah, I was shocked um, by the amount of people who thought it was suicide. Well, you know, I was actually kind of overwhelmed by the comments and responses from other listeners on that post. And I think, I mean, you know, the, the, Harrison definitely had a very lasting impact on people. Yeah. He really he did. did. Um, and, you know, even, in, in, even on me, like, I mean, both – Kate and I were gutted when we found out about this because it's it's just it's weird, you know. My, my friend Kessler, when Kessler died, Kessler obviously was a lifelong junkie, used heroin, abused heroin for years, and you just kind of you you think I'm gonna get this call. It's inevitable. I'm gonna get a call like this, you know, that's gonna say like this person died of an overdose or whatever, and so you you expect it, but then when it happens, you never fully prepare for it, and that's kind of how I felt with with Harrison. Like you know, I kind of ex- expected like one of these days I'm gonna get this call. But when it happens, you're just, you're never really fully prepared for it. Yeah, it always sucks. I mean, anyone dying who you know, who's even like, you know, Harrison, I wasn't as good friends with Harrison as you. I'd say he was like an acquaintance, but it was still like, shit, he's kind of gone. Like, I won't ever get a chance to speak to him again, should I choose to. 
Well, I think you know that I mean? was, but I think that was the reaction of a lot of the fans. It's like a lot of, the, I mean, some some fans didn't have the opportunity to meet uh, Harrison, meet us in uh, Edinburgh when we did Fringe, um, but a lot of them never met him. You know, a couple couple times Harrison met some fans in uh, L.A., but you know, most people never actually met him in person. But you feel like you knew this guy because you spent years listening to this guy every week. Yeah, it's like a, po- a weird podcast thing, especially when you really like the hosts. That that would be how I would feel about like Hollywood crime scene. Like, I feel like Desi and Rachel are my friends. I know they're not, but, but it's, you feel that way. But it's different than, like, uh, like Howard Stern, for example. Because, like, you know, you don't really have personal contact with them. But a lot of these people did personally contact Harrison on Discord, yeah. on Facebook. You know, and, he, and he'd respond, or email even, you know. So, I mean, you, you develop a different kind of relationship with a podcast host. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing with me and Harrison. We, we did have our ups and downs over the years, you know, as most friends typically do. I always admired what that guy brought to the show. We yeah. we definitely he, we definitely took the show in a different direction uh, when he joined, and uh, I do appreciate that. So anyway, next Saturday we're planning on doing a tribute show to Harrison P. Lovecraft. Um, I'm thinking we're going to live stream it. I'm thinking let's just live stream it on YouTube. I'll try to get an opportune time, and we'll announce it. I'm thinking maybe like three or four in the afternoon Pacific. Should be like eleven or twelve your time. Yeah, um, and then that's twelve on the continent. Yeah, so and then what's that? Nine a.m. and in, in Australia. Sorry, boys. Yeah, morning you have to get up guys. early for you guys. But yeah, I'm thinking we're gonna live stream it. We're gonna play some of our favorite clips. Play a bunch of people have already sent in phone calls. Um, so people call in, join us as we give uh, Harrison a proper send off. Just send your phone calls. Uh, you can send in messages on Facebook. Um, you can send an email us on mp3 at sickroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you do have any particular clips in mind that you'd like me to play, uh, just send me the episode number and a timestamp, like an approximate timestamp, and I'll pull it and we'll play some clips. I have a couple in mind that some of my favorite moments. I also have one of uh, my favorite stories involving Harrison. Um, it's when I first met him and we went to a Halloween party. It's like, I think I only knew him for maybe a couple weeks at that point. Um, but it's a pretty funny story. So, yeah, next next Saturday, mark in your calendars. Um, we're going to do a, a tribute to Harrison live. And uh, hopefully everyone can take, a, take part in it. Be a good time. Um, all right. Now for the intro topic this week. You know, at first, this guy, like I, I was reading about this story. A, 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 a um, listener sent it in and was just like, Sent in a few weeks ago. It was like, is this Harrison? And there's a picture of this guy, and he kind of looked like him. But then after reading through the story, it's like, no, this guy's like the opposite of Harrison. <laughs> like completely. I mean, the dude's like covered in like, well, I mean, Harrison had a lot of tattoos as well. But this guy had like blackout tattoos. Like half his body was like blacked out. You know those guys that do the blackout tattoos? Yeah, I just don't understand blackout tattoos. I, I just, don't get it. Either. I only think if you're going to put white tattoos on top of them, they can look really cool then. But like, why just get black? Like just just. Just black me, dude. That's what they're saying. They go and black my arm out, dude. Yeah, it became very trendy the past, I would say, like, 10 years. Maybe to do, like, the full blackouts. Like, if you see, like, hashtag blackout. I think it started with people doing a big, massive cover-up because they had, like, such shitty ink, and it was so, you know, it was so large. The tattoo was so large that you couldn't just, like, blend it into another tattoo. You just black out your whole arm. I think that's kind of what started. But then some people... Don't have any tattoos and just get their whole arm blacked out. It almost looks like you're wearing a baseball tee. 
you know who I think is probably the first like maybe like quote unquote famous person who I remember having blackout tattoos was um the you know the bassist from Rage Against the Machine. Tamarello. No, that's the guitarist, the bassist. Oh, he's got curly brown hair, and he's the one who scaled the um the thing at the MTV Awards in protest of the West Memphis Free. This is how old I am. Who's in like who's 1993? I can't remember his name, but he has a blackout tattoo, and he's on MTV in the 90s of a blackout tattoo. Uh, for some reason, I thought does Morello also? Have, I thought Morello had like uh, sleeves with like some kind of like black design on his shoulders, he but does. the whole arm arm is blacked out. Is it? Well, I it, maybe I'm thinking of the maybe I'm thinking of the basis and and not Morello. I'm not sure. One of those guys in Rage Against the Machine. I it does have a blackout tattoo. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, and it de- it definitely uh, yeah picked up a lot of uh, tattooers. Doing a lot of tattoo artists hate doing blackout too because you got to like. Our... It's boring, but you also have to like like uh, JoJo won't do blackout tattoos because uh, he's like, well, I'm not going to blackout some his whole arm. It's kind of tough to get the ink in. Like that evenly, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to do. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, speaking of someone who has a lot of black tattoos, but I would never do a full blackout. I don't think it looks terrible, especially when people do get the white ink on top of it. That actually can look kind of cool. I think that looks cool, but I think uh, it's just not for me. Uh, whatever. People can do what they want with their bodies. I'm, they, like, I'm not the authority on anything, but for but- me, it is not aesthetically pleasing as the kids say. But this guy here, um, the, the subject of the story, um, definitely very heavily tattooed and for some reason went on a rampage killing tattoo artist, but he wrote about it first. So this, uh, this suspect here, a shooting suspect, wrote books previewing the attacks he was about to carry out. So he wrote, he self-published fiction that became reality. Oh, okay. Like he, what, he self-published them on Amazon? Yeah, to rave reviews under a uh, under a uh, pen name too. So this happened in Denver um, just a couple of weeks ago. A man accused of killing five people on rampage uh, is believed to have written fictional books, self-published online, that named his real life victims and described a similar attack. If only they'd have had a warning sign. Yeah. If only they'd have known. Well, no one knows what, uh, I mean, obviously no one knows that, uh, you know, self-published authors usually don't get much attention. So I imagine the subjects of the book had no idea. However, when I self-publish my book, I use pseudonyms. Yeah, because well, you I can think be, you've got to legally. Well, you have to legally. Um, I was advised to use pseudonyms, but I was planning on doing it anyway. Um, the writings here are part of this investigation into what led Lyndon James McLeod to carry out the shootings, which uh, took place in less than an hour Monday at like several locations around the Metro Denver area. Uh, McLeod, who's 47, my age, um, knew most of the people that he shot through uh, business or personal relationships. Uh, Four of the people, four of them uh, who were shot were attacked at tattoo shops. So there were like four tattoo artists that he uh, murdered. In addition to those killed, two other people were wounded, including a police officer. So... He wrote his first novel under a pen name Roman McClay. Uh, so there's a character in this novel um, named Lyndon, his name, who <laughs> yeah. stalks a poker party held by a character named Michael Swinyard. And he gains access to a building near Cheeseman Park in Denver by pol- posing as a police officer. He then fatally shoots everyone at the party and robs them before fleeing with his dog in a van. So the first attack this past mo- or 
uh, this past Monday here, Michael Swinyard, who is 67 years old, was fatally shot at a home right next to Denver's Cheeseman Park. So that carried out. You know, he the carried clues out that are all one. there. Second novel, there's a character named Lyndon. Wait, and, you uh, so, the, so the whole book was like just the one first shooting. The one it first takes shooting. Takes a lot of dedication to write a book, you know. And this guy's just like knocking out these books. Yeah, but Jeremy I wonder Anna's though. Jeremy the whole time he's writing them. I'm, I'm sure, but I'm wondering: is it just like a 30-page book? Because there's well, then no, that's you know, a there's novella. No that's not a novel. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it, was, it, it doesn't seem like much actually transpired to, um, to to have a whole novel, you know, written about it. But I, I think mean, this guy should go to court for crimes against uh, literacy. <laughs> crimes against literature. Yeah. Um, in his second novel, there's a character named Lyndon. And uh, he names Alicia Cardenas as a victim. The book also mentions a tattoo shop that Alicia owned called Soul Tribe. Alicia Cardenas, tattoo artist, um, at a at a shop called uh, Soul Tribe, was his first one of his first victims that Monday after Swinyard. She was killed at her t- tattoo shop along with another artist named Alyssa Gunn. A man who was there, um, who I guess was a customer, is expected to survive. That sucks. You're going in there to get tattooed, and then some guy just comes in and uh, kills your artist, another artist, and then shoots you too. Yeah, imagine like if they just put a huge like um, mark for the tattoo you're getting. You're like, well, now I'm stuck with this, and now I have to get a blackout <laughs> tattoo. Yeah, now Thanks, I have a, now I have a big bullet wound. Um, so uh, I guess the guy that was uh, oh, okay, the guy that was shot was. Um, uh, when the tattoo artist's uh, husband. And uh, he was a piercer there, too. But I guess all these people were named in the book. It's, you you got to use pseudonyms. You really do. Um, that shop's, I guess, uh, less than a mile from a tattoo shop that uh, McLeod was listed as a leaseholder. But it doesn't say that he ever actually tattooed anyone there. He wasn't licensed to work as a tattoo artist. But I guess he, he owned... Invested. Or he owned a tattoo shop or had to lease someone. Maybe he wanted to be a tattoo artist, but he just sucked. And that's and then, where it all came from. And they all took the piss out of him at tattoo school. They probably were they like, no, he's a him. weirdo. I don't know if you go to tattoo school, but. <laughs> no, I'm, this is how I imagine it. They all went to tattoo school together and they all just, bullied him because he can't draw a straight line. He wasn't part of the cool kids. Yeah. Uh, so the commander here, the Denver uh, Popo, Matt Clark, um, he said that McLeod knew most of the people he targeted, but not the last person he shot. Who was just an innocent clerk in a hotel in Lakewood's Belmar shopping area. Um, apparently, he had some dealings with the hotel. And so that's why he was going there to kill some people. This guy had a shit list. Put it this Look, way. Yeah, he did. He it's had a like shit list. The, the L7 song come to life. <laughs> he was just going down and just murdering people on the list before. Uh, I think it was def- definitely like a suicide, uh, murder-suicide killing spree. Uh, this hotel clerk, 28-year-old Sarah Steck, died of her injuries. So this is how it all went down. A cloud forced his way into this tattoo shop, murdered the tattoo artist, and shot the, uh, the, the piercer. Um, he then forced his way into a residence that's also home to a business. That's another tattoo shop. He then uh, pursued all the occupants in the building, firing shots at them, but they all managed to run away and hide, so no one was actually injured. Uh, but then he uh, ended up shooting and killing Swinyard, near uh, Cheeseman Park. So later, Denver police uh, chased his vehicle 
um, and they exchanged gunfire with him, but he was able to get away because he shot back and disabled one of their cruisers. I mean, this guy had like machine guns and shotguns. He had a whole arsenal of weapons. There's all these pictures. I'll post a picture of the site of him just kind of standing in the mountains, just holding like this machine gun. So I bet you he probably was, you know, better armed than the officers. Probably. And I imagine that the officers, seeing as this is Denver, might have been stoned. Possibly. All police, all policemen in Denver are stoned. I'm putting um, it out there. So he managed to escape the police, kill a few more people. And then uh, the uh, police department received a report that there were shots being fired at another tattoo shop called Lucky 13. Uh, Danny Schofield, a, a tattoo artist there, was killed. I bet you these are all the tattoo shops that wouldn't hire him because his art sucks. He probably came in with his portfolio and they're like, yeah, could try again next time, but we're not Will you buy my right flashes? Now. No one seems to want to buy my flashes. I think that I'm was the sick. problem. So uh, officers spotted a car, uh, his car, that was, be- that was uh, suspected to be involved in the shooting earlier in the day. And so um, he opened fire. The officers shot back again. He ran away. And I guess he threatened some people in a restaurant that was in the oh, uh, Belmar shopping area before going to the Hyatt House Hotel where he spoke briefly with Sarah Steck and then he killed her. About a minute later, Lakewood police officer Ashley Ferris saw him coming out of the hotel and ordered him to drop his weapon. He shot her in the stomach, but she managed <gasps> to dick. fire Yeah, but she managed to fire back and uh and deliver a fatal shot to his head. Oh, so did she die? Because getting shot in the stomach and dying from that it's gnarly. She underwent surgery that night and is expected to make a full recovery. She'll get some type of, like, police well, she, award, won't she? She should definitely get some kind of recognition. I mean, she took this guy out. It's crazy that, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, this guy had killed so many people, but she still ordered him to drop his weapon to try to take him alive. Because he was white? <laughs> Maybe. Um, well, I don't know. He's, like, half black. <laughs> his, his skin was blacked out. Um, but anyway, uh, when I was reading through this story, I mentioned it to Kate, and uh, Kate was immediately reminded of a of a similar killer, similar MO here, a Polish author slash killer named Christian Bala, who wrote about the future real life murders of his victims. Yeah. I love this story. It's very like, it's very postmodern, but it's also like, it's kind of like a 1950s detective novel. So like and the, and the guy kind of looks a bit like Kafka. It's like Kafka he, who ended up killing um, some of the, uh, the, the characters in his book. Yeah. Wait until I, I tell you more about him. That'll make more sense. So like, for everyone who is on the patron, everyone knows, like, knows on there. You know, we cover crazy topics, like we will discuss what is worse between, like, cannibalism or necrophilia. <laughs> and it's also a place where we talk about our life events. Debate. We tell personal stories. And I often praise my favorite Eastern European country, and that is the motherland of uh, Poland, Polska, a country which is filled with nothing but Dobro Kobietas and Dobrochoveks. Although your, your family isn't, you don't have any ancestry from Poland, do you? No, I wish I did. I'm, I, uh, I wish I had some Polish blood. My father's side, all from Poland. That could be why I instinctively married you. It could be. You could, you, uh, you're able to detect the Polak inside. I do love me. a Pole. Yeah. <laughs> I love any type of Pole. <laughs> so, 
But today we're going to be talking about Anitak Dobrochovek. It's a man by the name of Christian Baller. So on a cold December day in the year 2000, three friends, they were fishing on the Oda River in southwestern Poland. They're miles in the middle of nowhere. So one of the fishermen, he noticed at first what he thought was a log. But as he drew closer, he noticed that, you know, this log has some hair going on. So he was doing exactly what I would do in this situation. He poked the so-called log with his fishing rod. And then he determined that it was a dead body and it was actually partially deca- decayed. So it'd been out there a, ri- a while. Hence why it looked like a log. Hence a log. They rang the policia and when they dragged the body from its kind of half watery grave, they discovered that the corpse was that of an unlucky male. He had a noose tied very tightly around his neck and his hands were bound behind his back. Part of the rope around his neck had once been connected to the rope around his hands, which would have bound him in like a backward cradle, which is an excruciating position to hold. Uh, Bondage people will tell you that. And one that meant the slightest wiggle, like if he wiggled his body, only like made made himself strangle himself further. It's like basically they were like, this guy couldn't do it to himself. So when you, so they they found him and he was bound. Like if you already killed him, why not just... I guess you don't probably want to cut him well, off. Well, see, the if that would, but... yeah, I mean, you wouldn't cut him off, but cut him off. You wouldn't cut them off. But if I was him, the killer, I would have taken the ropes off. Yeah, because don't you want to use it for another victim? Oh, well, not even like for another victim, but you leave an evidence. Never leave evidence. Could have yeah, had your DNA on it. I'm just, got, I'm, but I'm just talking about it. maybe it's because it's the uh, the Jewish side of me and being frugal, but it's like <laughs> it's rope. I, I'm not going to go back to Home Depot and buy more rope when I could just reuse <laughs> the rope. A focaccia rope. <laughs> it's my focaccia rope. I'll say four ninety nine. So the body was wearing only a sweatshirt and underwear, and there was other signs of torture that would become evident at his autopsy. Evidence such as he had virtually no food in his intestines, meaning that he had been starved for his final days alive. So he had been held captive for some time. He was covered in bruises and it was revealed that he had water in his lungs, meaning that he was very much alive when he was thrown into the icy water. Hmm. So the pierogi police, they knew that this was a murder and soon they had actually identified the unlucky victim. So the black haired and blue eyed corpse was 35 year old businessman Darius Janaeski. He lived in the city of Wotschloff, which I always say wrong. It's the one that looks like Rocklaw, but it isn't. Wotschloff. How far is, is that about... from Krakow? From Krakow? It's, um, it's like southeastern. Where did I say? Southwestern. Southwestern. Krakow's further away. Like, oh, okay. I'm saying this. this is, you're going to have to cut this because I'm pointing and not telling you. <laughs> you're like just pointing. And it's like, yeah. it's here. Whereas the other one's here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's good to do away. on radio because it, uh, <laughs> it <you know>. yeah, <laughs> it's about so where he was found, his body was 60 miles away. So he's 60 miles away down by a river. Four weeks earlier, his wife has reported him missing. No sign of him had been seen since November the 13th, where he'd left his small advertising office for the last time. Hmm. His wife was too distraught to identify the body. So the victim's mother confirmed it was him. And she recognized it was him due to a birthmark on his chest. Did she also think it was a log at first? <laughs> it's a log. <laughs> the log, log lady coming. The Schnitzel Eaton police, they obviously were quick to launch an investigation. They combed the forest near the river for evidence. Scuba divers searched the bottom of the river for clues. All angles 
for a motive as to why Darius was murders, murdered was explored. Like, did he have a business rivalry? Was he in deep financial debt? Did he have a nemesis? Was his marriage a happy one? You know, but all these inquiries, they kind of led to nothing. The police, all they learned was no that ways. Darius was by all accounts, he was a nice guy. He played guitar in a rock band. He's probably the last person to pick a fight with anyone, despite the fact he was like six foot and 200 pounds, which is about 14 stone. He was not the kind of person who would provoke fights, his wife said. He wouldn't harm hmm. anyone. So he didn't have any like known enemies? No known enemies. But speaking of his wife, they'd been married for eight years. They'd had general rough patches that included splitting up once, but they had reconciled. They were happier than ever, and they were actually planning to adopt a child together. Police, run, they're running into nothing but dead ends. And so the Polish press took to referring to the murder as the perfect crime. Hmm. Within six months, Commissioner Zsijek Robolowski, leading the invest- investigation, I said his name so badly then, Robolowski. <laughs> I don't think anyone can really tell. I mean, as long as there's a ski at the end, it's like we assume it's Polish. I know, but I want to do my Polish friends proud. He dropped the case and he said he dropped it because of an inability to find the perpetrator or perpetrators. And like from there, it would languish. I mean, it sounds like it became a cold case at that point. Completely. And for a small country like Poland, where there isn't many people there and there isn't much like murders like this happening, it is something that the press are always going to like harp on about in a way. So... They hung the family. They hung across for uh, Darius on an oak tree near to the river where his body was found. And this was like just one of the few reminders of what happened. Like, you know, this is this grave. So, D, imagine if you've committed what the press and Poland consider the perfect crime. A murder so cleverly done that the police are unable to solve it for around three years. Like, wouldn't you want to boast about it? Wouldn't you want to tell the world how you managed to do a live version of how to get away with murder? Hmm. As, I guess it depends. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a, a level of arrogance to most killers. But this guy, okay. I think I think this guy was like, he doesn't even have a moniker. Like, no one even made up a name for him. They're just calling it a perfect murder. So wouldn't you want to somehow get some recognition like or taunt the police or something? Yeah, you'd have a bit of a boner. Loads of killers love the attention. Oh, yeah, they totally do. So the new detective on the case was a 38-year-old, Zsijak Robolowski. So Zsijak is Jack in English, and Robol means sparrow. And so his colleagues would call him Jack Sparrow. And obviously, this is the time of Pirates of the Caribbean, really popular as well. So he's like the Jack Sparrow Oh, wait, so what, what year was this? This is like the early 2000s. Oh, okay, so it's relatively recent. Yeah, uh, Jacques liked to Jacques liked the same response. I'm more of an eagle. <laughs> says so good. This detective is so like from like a Raymond Chandler novel. Uh, the Did more he I read dress about him, like Jack I was... Sparrow. No, he doesn't. Like the... oh, he he looks like a hard-boiled thirty-eight-year-old like a... oh, okay. detective, Polskiman. So he was a born detective. He has a strong moral Catholic code of right or wrong. I mean, this is an Orthodox Catholic country. And even though the Polish police pay, like the, you know, the, how much they get paid then and now is very abysmally low. He had a wife and two, two children to support. He didn't care. Police work was all he wanted to do. He studied psychology at night school as a way to understand the criminal mind. And after he apprehended and put away his first murderer, he hung a pair of goat's horns on his wall as a symbol as, of a capture of his prey. 
Well, I don't, I don't understand. Like, did, did, does the goat supposed to symbolize the uh, the murderer he caught? Yeah, because he he's the uh, predator and the the prey. It's kind of weird and satanic. Yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love goat skulls. I have one, but I didn't think about like uh, saying like doing it, you know, symbolically to represent a conquest. This is totally like a James Elroy detective would do something of this type. Yeah, it's weird. Like these mementos that mean something to him. What, really what like do the it. kids think of this? Dad's got another goat skull on the wall. He probably killed and ate the goat. <laughs> he probably died. Whatever that's what he does. He like names it after the murderer, <laughs> kills it, eats it, hangs the skull up on the wall. Gotta have it on my wall. He is a dobro chovek. So he took up his old, the old case files and he began going through them. So he knew that this victim, uh, Darius, he had been tortured, indicating revenge to him as a motive. The body was stripped, but it hadn't been sexually abused. So that was, to him, it suggested humiliation and a strong sense that the killer was smart enough to hide evidence. And after his death, his credit, his stolen credit cards had never been found and they had not been used. So he then knew that money uh, was not a motive for the crime. Yeah, it was, a, it was a definitely personal. But I thought you said he was covered in bruises, so he was tortured. So could he was the torture, tortured. But could the torture be uh, like a sexual act? You could see it that way. You could see it as a sign of revenge, too. Yeah. So... This was the still the very early days of like mobile cell phone technology. I mean, I didn't I don't think I had a phone till I didn't have a full time phone till I was like 1920. So that was like 2004. I left it as long as possible to get a phone. The same with me. I was I was actually very against it, mainly because me I, didn't too. Want, I didn't well, I didn't want my girlfriend at the time to be able to keep tabs on me because <laughs> <laughs> I have no excuse for not calling her back because it's like, oh, she's ringing my phone in my pocket. Mine was kind of like that. I just didn't want to be reached. Yeah, same I, with like, me. I, don't, I don't want to be reached 24 hours a day, but now if anyone tried to take my phone away from me, I would murder them and put a goat skull on my wall. Pry it out of my dead, cold fingers. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, it wasn't as advanced, like their idea of cell phone technology. It's not as advanced as it is today. So well, at the start of the investigation... Doesn't John Steele still have the same phone he had in 2004? Yes, he has a red flip phone. <laughs> It's red, and he has a flip phone. So they didn't, at the, t the first go-round of this investigation, they didn't investigate it properly, the, the cell phones. So uh, Jacques made this a main point. I'm saying it's French there. Jacques, Jacques made the main point of this. He made this like this main point of the new investigation. And so he decided to try and track Darius's phone using its unique serial number that's from the manufacturer. And sometimes it is as simple as that because four days later, a match came in. The phone had been sold by a 30-year-old man by the name of Chris in an online auction site, Allegro. Remember when Allegro was a thing? Four oh, yeah. days. Did you have Allegro? Yeah, I do, rec I do recall Allegro. It's like, it was kind of like an eBay, but a shittier eBay, right? Really shit, dodgy yeah. eBay is what Allegro was. Like I think it was more um, technology, electronics. It was shite. So four days after Darius had gone missing, this guy called Chris was selling his phone on Allegro. So now he assumed that the killer would not have made such a simple mistake because this is a smart murder. After all, the killer had stalked, had stalked his victim. He'd learned his routine for some time. And maybe this Chris person had acquired this phone through other means. But after that, he began to look into this person. He found out that his real name was Christian. Christian with a K. 
he had moved out of Poland and he had written a novel, co- novel called A Mock. And it was this novel that would lead to Christian Bala's undoing. So wait, where did uh, Christian Bala live at this point? I think he's living in Asia at this point. He's a jet setter. I'll get more mm. into like how he jet setted about. They couldn't actually, f- when he like had discovered this, they actually couldn't find where he was residing. So he obtained a copy of his book. The main character of Amok is a bored Polish intellectual whom when he isn't musing about philosophy is getting drunk and banging Polish slags. <laughs> Christian said, of course, the book is brutal, vulgar, the dirtiest I could write. But that's how art must be. It must be provocative. The front cover, it shows a surreal image of a goat. And the book has been reviewed as being sadistic, pornographic, and creepy. Whoa. What's this book called? A Mock? A Mock. Can you still get it? Uh, I tried looking for it. I couldn't find a copy. Hmm. But maybe that's just because of where I am. And obviously we all know that writing a violent book, it doesn't automatically make you a killer because I'm pretty sure that Agatha Christie never stabbed anyone on a train or that Brace and Alice was really into murders and executions. But little is actually known about Christian before he wrote his book. He was born January the 1st, 1973. His father was an uneducated construction worker and taxi driver and would often go to France throughout the summer to find employment. Christian came back to his homeland of Poland in September of 2005 to visit his family. And by now, the 32-year-old Christian had spent most of his life globetrotting and teaching scuba diving to fund his true passion, writing philosophical fiction. So this guy just went fucking douche. So this guy just went like to uh, like Bali and Thailand and all that and just taught scuba diving courses. Yes. So he could write philosophical fiction. Hmm. Isn't he a wanker? I bet if I met him in a bar, I would just been like, get away from me, fucking nerd. I too like Foku, but I don't need to make it my life's work. Yeah. Although I do kind of I do kind of like the idea that you could just go travel around and and it, you know, costs so little to live there that you could just, you know, fund your lifestyle as a writer. That's you couldn't true. do that in LA. Definitely not. So not long after he returned back to Poland, he was leaving a pharmacy in his hometown of um, Haunów, which is a small industrial agricultural town in southwestern Poland. He was accosted by four men who slapped a pair of handcuffs on him and they threw him into the back of a car. Back at the station, he was sat down at a small table in an interrogation room and he was introduced to the detective who would uncover the truth about what had happened to Darius Janaevski. So sitting across from him... uh, Jayak, he didn't think Christian looked like a typical killer. You know, he's a slim, slim guy, kind of handsome. He's got glasses. He's a chain smoking philosophy graduate with a love of literature. But that's the thing. He kind of looks like Kafka. You know, yeah, he also, does look a bit like Kafka. <laughs> you, know, you know, wrote about uh, philosophical books and things like that and works of fiction. So here, uh, Bello, uh, Christian Bello had also been on track to get his PhD in philosophy. Um, one of his philosophy professors says that he had a ferocious appetite for learning and an inquisitive, rebellious mind. Interestingly, Bala wrote a thesis about um, the American philosopher Richard Rorty, who famously declared, the guise of convincing your peers is the very face of truth itself. I think that will come out later hmm. during his trial. But even though he was on like track to go and get a PhD and be this you know, very smart man, be a scholar, 
he was forced to drop out of the University of Reutschwaff in 1997 because he couldn't afford tuition and because by now he had a family to support. He had married his childhood sweetheart, Stasia, against the will of his mother, who did not think she was a good match for her son. So hmm. Stasia didn't have the intellectual merits that Christian seemed to have. She wasn't into philosophy. She had actually dropped out of high school to begin work as a secretary. And because Christian now couldn't meet his tuition fees, he soon dropped out and he started a cleaning business just in time for when their son, um, Casper, was born in 1997. So wait, did he, he is... bring the wife and the kids on all of his globetrotting adventures? No, he just abandoned them. Just we'll took off. That. Okay. <laughs> Such a wanker like... He wasn't a great businessman. He soon ended up spending all his money instead of investing it back into the business. I don't feel like a businessman, he later told an interviewer, adding that he'd always dreamed of an academic career. Hmm. In the year 2000, the Zloty was up, and he, but he filed for bankruptcy. But he also filed for the divorce. Their basic problem was women, his wife later said. I know that he was having an affair. Ooh, a philanderer. He's a philanderer. Yeah, he's like a dickhead who can't even keep it in his pants. In a depression after splitting up with his wife, he now decided he would leave Poland for the US and Asia. And it was here where he started work on his debut novel. He began work intensively on Amok, which um, encapsulated all his philosophical, philosophical obsessions with the basic story kind of mirroring crime and punishment. Have you ever read that book? Yeah. Dostoevsky. Yeah, oh, Raskalkinov. I wonder if that's what, uh, so did he have a character who basically was similar to the one that Raskalkinov murdered? It's a very similar story. It's just like the mm. similar kind of storyline. I'm not a fan of crime and punishment. I found it a slog to get through. I like that one. Lots of people do. It's like James Joyce. People like James Joyce and I don't. I think he goes on and on. He's very long-winded. That's some dry literature, yeah, but... <laughs> So uh, Jayak, who had mainly read history books on novels, he was shocked by like this book, Amok. He, like, he made notes about how the main character, who's a man called Chris, kills a female lover for no real reason, and the method of murder, how he kills her, he tightens a noose around her neck. Hmm. He was obsessed with this book. He read and reread the book with his investigator's eyes, and he was more convinced that Christian had killed had killed uh, Darius and gotten away with the murder. He believed that inside the pages of um, Amok, hidden in the subtext, were clues that Christian Barlow might be more like his sadistic anti-hero than he let on in everyday life. He made the novel compulsory reading for all the detectives in his team, so he turned his squad of like hard-boiled Slavic cops into like a soft-boiled book club. They're all, <laughs> They're all sat reading, there reading true this crime book. fiction. This is great. Um, yeah. but, but he murdered a woman in the book, not a man. A woman who he loved. We'll get into uh, that. Okay. Because right. this is a Christian Ballow who's divorcing his wife because he was having an affair. Yeah, I think I, I, I have an idea. Of where <laughs> yeah, this you know is where going, this is going, don't we, you? <laughs> let's see. Let's see. This is totally like a film. So, uh, a brief synopsis of the book, which would have been deemed actually controversial because this is a mainly Catholic country, Poland. It's about a hedonistic traveler and translator called Chris. And he travels between Mexico and Paris, sleeping with women, drinking with his nihilistic friends and fantasizing about extreme sexual violence, such as sexually assaulting his own mother. He's a real Marquis de Sade type. Hmm. 
which I think this is an interesting fact. So he gave this book, which is full of sexual violence. So, you know, he's he's thinking about shagging his own mum. For his when the book came out, he signed a copy of it and gave it both to his parents for Christmas. <laughs> Did he dedicate it to his mum? To my dear old mother. <laughs> he really inspired this novel. So we were talking about the ending where he kills one of his many girlfriends by strangling her. And it goes, I tightened the noose around her neck, holding her down with one hand. With my other hand, I stabbed the knife below her left breast. Everything was covered in blood. He then ejaculates on her for like, because why not? You might as well. Yeah, well, he's turned on. This yeah, sounds like such a fun book. <laughs> So he finished the book around 2002. He gave his main character a background and a biography similar to his own. He even posted sections of the book on a blog called A Mock. And during discussions with readers, he wrote comments under the name Chris as if he was the character speaking to them. The book came out in 2003 and an interview asked him, so authors write only to release their Mr. Hyde, the dark side of their psyche. Do you agree? Bala joked in response, I know what you're driving at, but I won't comment. It might turn out that Christian Bala is the creation of Chris and not the other way around. Ooh, he doesn't want to incriminate himself. Was this published by like a Polish publisher, like publishing house or is it self-published? It was self-published. And D, you'll be happy to know that the book was not well received (laughs) and it only sold a few thousand copies, if that. But Christian, with that arrogance... You can tell he's an arrogant man. He was convinced that one day it was going to be considered a great piece of literature. I'm truly convinced that one day my book will be appreciated. History teaches that some works of art have to wait ages before they are recognized. Who is he? Like Nick Drake? You know, you know what, though? I feel the same way about my book. <laughs> I'm thinking like in two decades from now, people are going to look back and this like, this was a great piece of modern literature. And it'll be a crime that you were undiscovered <laughs> in your lifetime. <laughs> Oh, I just threw you in the grave then. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. Dave. <laughs> 20 years, you'll still be a young man. Uh, so the detective team went through this book. They found that the main character, Chris, was stealing sacred items from ter- churches, something that Christian also did during his wild college years. The mm. character, Chris, struggled to tie a knot in the noose, and Detective uh, Jacques, he found an old internet search on Christian's computer showing that he had been searching for a manual called Accidental Suicide or Criminal Hanging, which I think is a book I actually have. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem like something you'd have in your library. In my true crime library. So he's looking for ways how he can learn to tie a knot. The other details that had the detectives drooling was that there are two murders mentioned in the book. The narrator Chris claims to have earlier killed a man in a jealous rage. Although his girlfriend is killed in the book due to a stabbing, the detail that creeped out the detective was that there is a detailed description of the murder weapon being sold on an internet auction site. By this point in the investigation, the detail had never been released to the public and it remained a secret held only by the police and the killer. Ooh. As the other detective teams were working on robberies and, you know, what they all considered real crimes, because they thought this detective jerk was kind of a kook. His team, they were turning into full on like, you know, Charlie Day in the mail room. And it's always sunny where he's smoking. He's got the board and like the string going. Yeah, like the covered in string with like thumbtacks. This is totally make the connections here. They were connecting the dots between Amok and the real life murder of Darius. But so far, they only had the solid piece of evidence, which was the cell phone. 
So I'm after- thinking, all right, let me, I might be off here, yeah. but I'm thinking that he was uh, jealous of the, of the, the murder victim's uh, girlfriend or wife. We'll tell you why. All right, we'll see. They re- he had to be released from custody. They couldn't really charge him with anything at this point. And Christian, again, he took the, to the internet to form a counteroffense. He claimed that the police had brutalized him during his arrest, that they had said they would take him to a forest and kill him if he did not talk. He sent out letters to academic institutions. He typed up posts on his personal blog. He complained about how he was being persecuted by the establishment simply for writing a blasphemous novel. Like, dude, like, what does he think this is? The 1950s? It's like the year 2000. I know. I like how he said crying persecution because no one bought his shitty book. The book. Yeah. His American girlfriend, Denise Reinhardt, he took his clause global. She set up a defense committee to fight for his freedom. They named the case um, Spara Absurd, which means the absurd matter in Polish. I gotta say, though, this is kind of a brilliant publicity stunt. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it? if you're gonna to drum up if you're gonna drum up interest for your book, this is definitely a, a surefire method. They carpet bombed like the Justice, Justice Department with letters defending his right to our artistic freedom. He himself wrote to his supporters, they have ruined my family life. We will never talk loud at home again. We will never use the internet freely again. Well, that's a lie because he's writing this on the fucking internet. We will never make any phone calls not thinking about who is not listening. Every single bark of our little dog alerts us and we don't know who or what to expect. It's terror, quiet terror. (laughs) A, A bit melodramatic there, but okay. I do like melodramatic writing. I'm also a fan of the hammy writing. And no matter how good a storyteller Christian Barla thought he was being, the cold hard facts, they were being drawn together. In February 2002, the Polish television program 997, which is like America's most wanted, it solicits the public help in solving crimes. It's like our watchdog. Also, 997, that's the emergency telephone number in Poland. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. What, what, what is it? What's it? Nine 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 in England, right? Nine nine nine. Yeah, that was a great telly show. Nine nine nine. Nine one one here. I think nine one one has is the best one. It's just got a ring to it. Yeah, nine one one. I think it just. Uh, I'm just used to say it. Although nine nine nine, I kind of like. Because it's easy to type in it, but I don't yeah. know. Nine one one's just got a little flair about it. I like it. So they aired a segment um, devoted to uh, Darius's murder. And afterwards, the show posted on its website the latest news about the progress of the investigation. They asked for tips. Robolowski and his men, they carefully analyzed the responses. Over the years, hundreds of people had visited the website from places as far away as Japan, South Korea, and the United States. Yet the police couldn't turn up a single of these leads. They couldn't find out who these people were and why they're so interested in South Korea. Hmm. Later, he was flipping through Bala's passport. And uh, Robolowski, he noticed stamps from Japan, South Korea, and the United States. He remembered that the website of the television show had recorded page views from all of these countries, a fact that had baffled them at the time. He compared the periods when Bala was in each country with the timing of the the date of the page views and the dates matched. So Christian Bala's in these different countries thinking about this murder and then he's just going and checking on that page while he's on holiday. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like it's definitely uh, more than a coincidence. So he was like looking at the page every time in all these countries. Yeah, he's obsessed. 
And then a darker side of Christian book began to emerge. The years from 1999 through to 2000 had been very difficult for him. He was often seen drunk and out of control at a New Year's Eve party in 2000, just weeks after uh, Darius's body had been found. Uh, Bala fought a bartender. Bartender was making advances towards his wife. And as one witness put it, he went crazy. He screamed that he would take care of the bartender and that he had already dealt with a guy in such a manner. So, like, this is two weeks after they'd found his bo- uh, Darius's body, and it took five people to restrain Bala, as one of the as one of them told the police he was running a mock. Well, that's oh wow, maybe that's where you get the uh, the, the the title <laughs> of the book. But I'm he doesn't seem like a very large guy. I mean, he's like skinny, he, probably kind of tall you know, and thin. I'm sorry, five I think he's guys, just strong. Well, I think he definitely was. Uh, I don't know, kind of having like a roid rage or something. <laughs> Anger management issues there. So the detective team soon soon uncovered another connection between the victim and the suspect. So Magrolotslia Drozdial, a friend of Stasia's, um, told the police that in the summer of the two in the year two thousand, she had gone with Stasia to a nightclub called Crazy Horse in Rokla. While Drozdal was dancing, she saw Stasia talking to a man with long hair and bright blue eyes. She recognized him from around town. And his name was Jarius Janoeski. So, right. so it, was a, it was a fit of jealous rage here. Yeah. Later on, Stasia went, they went on a date together and they checked into a hotel. But Stasia said that before anything happen, happened, Darius admitted to being married and then they just decided to call it a day then. Since I knew what it's like to be with a wife whose husband betrays her, I didn't want to do that to another woman, Stasia said. Darius and his wife, they soon got over this rough patch and they began making plans to adopt a child together. Several weeks after this date, Christian showed up at Stasia's house. He was drunk and he was like super fucking angry. He was so angry that he broke down her front door and just started punching her. Whoa, this guy is a psycho. He went from like bitter, failed grad student to like complete psycho. They probably kind of go hand in hand. Studying philosophy. I know what that's like. He shouted that he knew about her whole affair with Darius, that he knew where he worked and how long they had been together in that hotel for. And it was her testimony that would seal her ex-husband's fate. Bala's house was raided. He was finally arrested for the murder. He was sat in a caged-off section in a Roykla courtroom on February the 22nd, 2007. So our philosopher, now turned murderer, he waited nervously for his trial to begin. The story of a postmodern killer openly boasting about his crimes through his work, it was too good to ignore. So the place was packed as the trial kicked off. And in the end, he was found guilty and sentenced to the maximum punishment, 25 years eating rye bread and being slipped the kielbasa in the shower unit. Wait, so is he still in prison? Well, he did not go gentle into that good night, into that good prison cell, as you could imagine. And as of 2008, he's still been protesting his innocence. He's apparently writing a second book, which has yet to drop. Uh, He also won an appeal. But then during the appeal, during his retrial, he was again reconvicted for his full 25 years. Could you imagine being this guy's roommate? Ugh, be so annoying having to listen to this guy go on and on about how he's innocent and he's like a famous author. But what I'm wondering about this, why isn't Stasia charged with any kind of crime? 
Well, because she doesn't know anything about him killing Darius, does she? She hadn't kept contact with him. She didn't have an affair with him. She just met up with him in a hotel. Well, she met up with uh, Darius, right? Yeah, in a hotel, but nothing ever happened. And then Darius went back to his wife. Yeah, but wouldn't you say like, oh, this guy Darius died. She obviously knew about the crime. Wouldn't you say, hey, cops, I know a certain psycho that I used to date that might be a suspect here. Maybe, but she also could have just been fucking terrified. I mean, Christian sounds like a wanker. I mean, yeah, no, he's definitely a, 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 a horrible ex-boyfriend. But I, I just wonder, like, I'm surprised she never even anonymously tried to tip the police off to the guy. That's true. She probably is a little bit of fault. But yeah. the last line of a mock, uh, which could also talk about his guilty verdict, says, this was the one killed by blind jealousy. But until the uh, Polish Czovek uh, spills the Forsholka, we'll never know what happened to Darius in his last month and moments of life. For now, Christian Baller is learning that the pen can be like just as mighty as a sword. He's still hmm. in jail to this day. You know, I'm actually kind of disappointed with his motivation for killing Darius. I feel just like it's such a jealousy. base. Yeah, it's just such a base thing where it's like Brest Kalkanov wanted to see if he can get away with murder. Like, that was the whole thing. He thought it, it's almost like, um, do you ever see Hitchcock's Rope? Yeah, I love Rope. That's one of my it's, most underrated. And they kind of go into the Nietzschean philosophy of, like, the Superman. And I'm, I was kind of hoping that Christian Bala thought he was above, you know, uh, the law, you know, the, the thou shalt not kill laws that govern our society. I thought he was like, I'm too much of an intellect and beyond that. But instead, it's just, he's, it's just base jealousy. In the well, end, I think he's he just did a think jealous he was too much above dick. It. But at the end of the day, that's how it went down. He's a I little Polish wanker, and I love yeah. the Poles. No, I think this guy's very disappointing, Christian. Um, but you know, it's surprising. So they get they don't get life imprisonment there. So twenty five years, he could be released. Yeah, but I would imagine that if he does write a second book where he kind of maybe incriminates himself more, they'll, <laughs> they'll find ways to keep him locked. Yeah, up. about I, another murder he committed. Poland is a lovely country. It's like it's one of probably I would say one of the safest. I've never had it. I've been on holiday to Poland by myself, and they survived mm. and came back. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy gets murdered by one of his cellmates because he just seems like the worst roommate ever. Here's hoping. Can you imagine him sat there going, "I want to quote some Foku to you." I just went, oh, "Fuck well, off, I mate!" Just be it's like, a Sunday, dude. If I have to hear about this perfect crime one more fucking time. <laughs> I'm going to bash your head in with a pipe. Anyway, people, this is episode 827 here of uh, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not a Sick and Wrong patron, then you might be missing out on special phone calls like this one. Wait, and, yeah, uh, I can't believe you just do that for five grand. I would like to know how many women on the Patreon would let a man fart in their face for $5,000. Most would say at least 10. At least a tenner. At least 10 grand. <laughs> no, I think five grand is pretty reasonable to be, for to be fair. I mean, because it's only going to last a second, like if that. And then it, it's also, you know, you've got that story in your back pocket to like bring out at family events and dinners. Any family <laughs> event from then on, you've got this hook in this time. And... <clears throat> Probably some of the women on the Patreon are married, and I imagine that their fart, fucking husbands just fart in front of them for free. Yeah, At least but probably I'm not while they're money. Probably not while they're 
tossing their set like tossing a salad that's tossing intimate salad. that's intimate then you get a fart right <laughs> in your face times. all right what about okay what about rupert grint who is rupert grint ron weasley from Mary Ew, i'd rather fucking have juliani's ginger in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. oh god no wait you would rather have juliani than a ginger fart yeah <laughs> of course now, now the that's the poll. Chuck Berry, it looks off. Then Giuliani. <laughs> then Giuliani. Then. And then if the ginger fucker wants to fart in my mouth, then I'm, it's ten grand. Ten grand for the ginger. <laughs> yeah. Price goes up for that ugly fuck. For just five dollars, you can hear the rest of this phone call, a bonus news story, and about an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. Um, both these calls came in from uh, Big Papa Smurf. Nice. Here's part one. Hey, what the fuck is up, uh, D&K? Um, I, I was listening. It's Big Papa Smurf, bro. I was listening to the last episode, and you guys are talking about, you know, the Proud Boys and the white supremacists with all their uh, conspiracy theories about the Jews. And I, I, I just felt like I should call in and tell you that we actually have, in the black community, have our own version of those guys that, are, that have all these conspiracy theories about the Jews and hate the Jews, and they, they replace, we're the true Jews, and they've replaced us with white Jews. Like, they, we call those guys, in the black community, we call those guys hoteps. And like some of them, and a lot of them have, uh, they, they're very pan, they're into pan Africanism, which is, if you don't know, is the unification of all people of African descent across the world. Well, like Marcus Garvey. Um, Who's Marcus Garvey? Marcus Garvey was a African American leader from, I want to say like the 19, I might be mistaken, 1920s, who wrote about separatism. Like black people could not live with white people, needed to go back to Africa. And, okay. and what's interesting is a lot of the KKK people are like, you know, that guy's on to something here. <laughs> Marcus He's Garvey. our ally. He's not our friend, but he can be He's our He's like, ally. we don't like him. We wouldn't have dinner with him, but I kind of like his way of thinking. This um, doesn't surprise me, to be honest, though. I mean, they like, you read Bill Cooper's book <laughs> once, <laughs> and then this is what happens. Well, I think it's a little bit different. These are like uh, the black QAnon uh, members. So they're the Hoteps. And Hoteps are kind of similar to Nation of Islam. Like uh, Farrakhan, right? Yeah. So, and those Farrakhan and uh, his ilk are very anti-Semitic, hate Jews, and I think it doesn't. I'm not surprised that you know I, the first time I've ever heard the term hotep, but um, they're kind of like uh, it. Just to me, it sounds like black QAnon people. I like anything that references Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of a cool term for these guys. It's like they're hoteps. Yeah. So it's not like black Muslims or Nation of Islam. It's like, no, these guys are different. They're all about Egypt. You know, I can't think of the name of it, but me and Harrison did a, a show about that, that about. Egyptian cult. Remember them? Yeah, and the guy with uh, all the tattoos all over his face was the yeah, and he and, oh, oh, there was that guy. That guy was Brazilian, but the Egyptian cult was a different dude and was in Atlanta, and there was like, they had like a pyra pyramids built. You can still see the pyramids in Atlanta. Oh, that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Right. Uh, very similar to what uh, Marcus Garvey 
uh, came over to the United States and tried to get everybody, all the black people to come back to Africa and things like that. See, the Rastafarians actually consider themselves like the true, like true Jews. If you didn't know, they're, 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 they even like some, some denominations of them even use Star David. But, uh, you do you do see that with the Rastafarians will have uh, Star Davids, but that that's the thing with the Hoteps, um, with the Black Muslims too. There's like an unfounded belief that a specific set of Black people were the original Israelites, and thus have a, the real claim to Jewishness. So they're the real chosen people. Speaking Not about Rastas, I recently Jews. told you about what a cunt Bob Marley was and how one of his daughters came to his deathbed to tell him that she was really happy he's dying. Because he was a wanker. People don't know this about Mamali, but he was an absolute fucking wanker. And Rastafarianism is not a nice religion, especially if you're a woman. It's nearly Islamic. Women are in the kitchen and there to produce yeah, babies. Very sexist. That is it. Um, not surprised that Bob Marley could it would be a dick. <laughs> I mean, a lot, I know, people, but a lot of people say that about like Lou Reed and other musical genius. I know, but I think Bob Marley was a fucking dick and like, you know, big ups to his daughter for going to him on his deathbed when he can't get out to be like, I'm glad you're dying. Bye. Did he have, uh, I thought he had like 13 kids or 18 oh, kids or something. Hunters. Yeah. Hunters is the Scottish say. Um, you Never know, liked Bob Marley. I read that when he died, they found like six different uh, species of lice in his dreads, like six different types. That doesn't surprise me. It's like a condominium complex for uh, lice. <laughs> uh, but so uh, the Hoteps, though, this is what I've always found interesting about the Hoteps and the Black Muslims who had this like claim that they're the original Jews. There were Ethiopian Jews. There's Jews from a wide, wide range of ethnicities and ancestries. It's not just like Eastern Europeans are the only Jews. There's Sephardic Jews. There's Jews that lived in Palestine. There's Jews that lived all over. Persian Jews. So it's it's funny that they're just like, oh no, we're the original Jews, not those white guys from uh, Poland. It's like, well, makes actually, for a great soundbite, though, doesn't it? To say that we are the original Jews, it's a great it's a great soundbite. I don't know. I'm, all I'm saying is that uh, there there were a lot of Jews, a lot of Jews from all over the all over the I world. There was a lot of you until Mister Hitler came marching in. I love how you take so much pleasure in that, but yes. <laughs> There, there were more of us back then, prior to 1940, 40, prior to the 1940s. Yes, there were more of us. Um, anyway. These guys, uh, they're typically American. Sometimes they're British. Like, you know, sometimes they're, they're, you know, they're in England, you know, wherever black people can be found. Um, they, they, they disguise their absolute ignorance on the topics that they speak on with hatred of white culture and white people, which that part I can't really blame them, you know, considering the centuries <laughs> that preceded it. But the more these guys tend to talk, they tend to seem like they're very educated, but the more they talk, the more you start to realize they're just homophobic misogynists. Exactly. That's the thing. They're, they're pseudo-intellectuals. And they, they come up with these reasons why their theories... Um, you know, have some kind of foundation in truth. Like one of the guys I was reading about, Doctor CB. Um, he's a self-proclaimed healer, and Dr. he was CB or CD. CB S E B I, like boy. Can we call him CD because it's 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 sexier for me, Doctor CD. <laughs> well, you might actually like him. He's able. He came up with a. Uh, he was selling his own um, uh, medication that could cure HIV. So all these people, were, what? 
Basically, all these people were buying this this guy's uh, doctor. Who's not even a real doctor? They're buying his his uh, uh, treatment for HIV. Meanwhile, uh, obviously dying of this disease. Um, but yeah, that's, but that's what I'm saying that there's like a lot of them kind of portray themselves as like academics or intellectuals, but no, much like, uh, much like QAnon, they just dabble in conspiracy and snake oil hatred. <laughs> and, 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 and that, that are, that, that, that are very uneducated on the things they speak about. And that's one thing they have in common with these white supremacists is their absolute hatred of jews bro like it it, it it that's like the one unifying point between these guys it's actually fucking hilarious you know that uh group that we were talking about a couple weeks ago they don't like black people but they're willing to like have invite black people to their rallies because it's like oh okay well we're united in our hatred of jews but we're we do kind of hate each other. We're not friends. So let's just let's just put that out there, right? But we can all gather at the right at the same rally and just bitch about Jews. It'll be like after we've defeated the Jews together, you're next on the list. Yeah, so we're enemies again. I've come like I've come across black people that spent all this time trying to get away from the white man's ways and the and the you know, life and the stereotypes that the white man forced on us. They did all that just to turn around and start talking exactly like the fucking white supremacists. They act just like the fucking Klan. You got to see them. They're, they're fully on their yeah. Malcolm X shit. They're like, it's, it's the craziest shit I've ever seen. And, like, I hate those guys just about as much as I hate a Klan member. Like, it, uh, just, just thought I'd call in and just, and just put out that little tidbit of information. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Uh, fuck you, Dean. <laughs> God, I, I don't understand why you have to end it with that. Jesus, Big Papa like Smurf, what did I do? Um, we should maybe do an episode birthday. on these guys. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, we didn't really uh, mention them last. We, we've done, uh, you know, I wanted to do an episode about the link between Scientology and the Nation of Islam, which is really weird that there's a connection there, but not surprising that they both would have their same kind of uh, skewed pseudoscientific type belief system. But what's interesting about the Hoteps, though, is it's, it's definitely this, the Hotep, I guess, uh, philosophy and movement has definitely picked up amongst uh, younger black people, mainly online. Because there's, like, there's a lot of uh, black social media influencers on like TikTok and things like that. There's one guy, there's a UK trainer named Shanka Clark, who uh, posts under the handle Shaka Bars. And he just hates Jews. Jews are the root of all evil, according to this guy. And he's got a lot of followers. Can I say that during the height of the COVID, during the height of the lockdown, and especially when the vaccines were first coming out, this was a big problem in London. I saw lots of viral videos about this. Don't know if it's changed now, but because there's a high concentration of like Hasidic Jews... And um, there's a lot of Jews in, oh, in London. London. Yeah. yeah, like Southgate's full of, it's where all the Jewish people live. It's also very close to like lots of areas where there's like lots of Africans, lots of um, like Jamaicans, people like that. They were warring because the Jews aren't going to get vaccinated. They're helping spur on the problem. This is how it was. I saw lots of videos. So they were doing tons of hate crimes against the Jews because they're neighbors. Just like well, rolling into Southgate and chucking things at Hasidic Jews as they walk into like synagogue. But the Hoteps are also anti-vax. 
So they're not going to get oh, back are to they? the Oh, yeah. No, these guys will never. They're against. It's QAnon kind of thing. It's like they're all anti-vax. So it's QAnon for black people. That, that's what the hoteps essentially are. Is a, it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's that far. It's, not, it's like a, a younger version of the Nation of Islam. Because Nation I'd of Islam is for as to why time. they're called hoteps. And it is as to why they've named themselves after hotep. That'd be interesting. I, I guarantee it has to be like because uh, black uh, black people were you know descended from Egyptians. Is that's that what probably. Gonna, I'm sure that's they're what, they're, what they're saying. So Egypt, Egyptians aren't their own race now. <laughs> well, they're originally the the original, you know, the original Israelites. Jews. The original Israelites were the Hoteps. Israelites. There's a part two here of uh, from Big Papa Smurf. So I'm thinking wrong. Uh, I, it, it's Big Papa Smurf again. I just I just had to call back because I feel like I just did not go enough in depth about how absolutely fucking ridiculous these hoteps can be. <laughs> these motherfuckers are stupid. I swear to God, bro. Like I I sat there and watched and listened to this dude go on a full tangent to a to this black girl about how periods are for white women and she needs what? to stop eating corn and other grains. Because periods are a tool of oppression against black women, against the black uterus, and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> now, there's a what controversial the theory. <laughs> if I was that woman, I would have dug out my tampon and chucked it at him. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, it's like this guy knows more about female biology than, than a, a woman, woman does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, we should definitely do an episode on this. On the hoteps. Yeah, maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe we interview uh, Shaka Clark to this nigga like will you please shut the fuck up oh my god bro these niggas piss me off so fucking much because they don't know what the fuck they are talking about this nigga I, bro, like i've said up here inside how, how this nigga told me that homosexuality was a tool of oppression to emasculate the black man because he saw a fucking rapper wearing a fucking dress, bro. Like, I just, like, they would... We did this, remember? We did that topic. That was a great episode. Yeah, about rap music. These are the type of people who think that, uh, you know, Wiz Khalifa or whatever, um, accentation, wearing a dress, and being is a, is a feminization of the black male. It's all about oppressing the black male. And the Jews are behind it. The the period thing. I wish periods were just like created by the white people as a tool of oppression. My God, get rid of periods. It would be great. I love how it's like, yeah, eat some corn. I'll take care of your period. And it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're just as sensationalist as these fucking white supremacists, bro. They think everything is an attack on black people, especially in regards to the entertainment industry. I remember... I remember when Lil Nas X dropped the fucking video for Montero and with the, yeah. you know, the one where he gave the fucking devil the lap dance and fucking snapped his neck. I think that is why we're inspired to, to do that episode about the uh, myths of, uh, of uh, the feminization or emasculation of uh, the black male. It was because of that particular video where he was uh, dressed as the devil and, oh my God, there's so many. Who, who is that rapper? What the, uh, Brand Nubian. That guy's Brand Nubian. That guy's got to be a hotep. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. I like that episode. Broke his horns up, and they, and 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 I logged into social media the next fucking day. I logged into social media the next motherfucking day, and it was niggas online talking about how Lil Nas X is an industry plant to get your kids into <laughs> gay Satanism. 
I, you can't make this shit up, bro. Like, stupid knows no fucking colors. It knows no... It's, it's exactly. an indiscriminate <laughs> yeah, characteristic, bro. I'm so... I, I fucking hate humanity. <laughs> He's worked up. Settle yeah, down there, Beavis. Wonderful fucking night. I'm gonna go contemplate the futility of human existence. I fucking hate it here. Keep it sick. Keep it wrong. Fuck you, be again. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, what's the, what's the deal with this vitriol? God. Yeah, uh, you deserve hating it. I wonder if he's hating on Jews here, or just oh, or, this, or this Jew in particular. Um, yeah, it's no, okay that's to hate on you. <laughs> I don't you invite it. it in. Yeah, I honestly can care less. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's an interesting it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of them also think that like Jews control the media, so Jews will create a character like Lil Nas X. And thus, right. they, in order to do so, to emasculate the black male, because it's all it's it's all internalized. It's all about them. And the same thing with the white supremacists. It's all an attack on them and white culture. That's always what I find so stupid about like like Nazis nowadays. Every, they just get so offended by the littlest thing, and they're actually worse than the people who are being offended by like the slutty Eminem. That's the thing. Because it's all about them, isn't it? It's they can't well, they're obviously, you know, a few fair degrees IQ lower than the rest of us. They can't give analytical thinking to the things they're actually saying. It's just don't well, be a dickhead. And they no can't basis. not be a dickhead. Yeah, there's no it's all about them. It. But what I find really funny is how they're just all these like pearl clutchers. Like it's it's it's, it's yeah. always like a sensitive attack. They're so sensitive. Uh, about everything but it's like meanwhile they're going around with their little tiki torches singing like you know chanting jews will not replace us and it's always the case of the lady doth to protest too much if you're so offended by somebody being gay it's probably because you yourself are battling internal thoughts about being gay it is that simple like freud laid it out on the table it's projection for you Exactly. You know, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's just classic. But but it is. I mean, I, I don't know. Obviously, I, I don't subscribe to any of their ideologies. But I do. I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by this this intellect, this line of thinking that these hoteps and these white supremacists have, and especially QAnon. I mean, we talk about QAnon quite a bit. Oh, QAnon. I have are just no right. idea where they come up with these theories. But the fact that people believe it, the fact that there are even like representatives elected to Congress that believe this stuff. That's what's scary. That Do you think that's scary. what Bill Cooper wanted, though? I don't know if Bill Cooper... I think what Bill Cooper is wanted... He wanted to uh, show that there's an alternative thinking. I think Bill Cooper would be horrified by Jewish space lasers and uh, yeah. these other, like, ridiculous theories of these assholes. I think he'd have been I horrified by it, you know? But at the same time, he was kind of a whack, whack ball himself, you know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, people call Sigur Hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, finally here, check out the Sick and Wrong patron. I know uh, we talk about it quite a bit, but we do a whole second show. So if uh, one Sick and Wrong show is not enough, you can get two. Two, just for five bucks a month. Uh, sign up for uh, the Sick and Wrong second show. It's a bit different than the main show. It's a bit more personal. This week, uh, we were chatting about um, the best and worst birthdays that we've both experienced over the years. And we even have an Ask Kate segment uh, involving JoJo and a woman that he met online recently who has a strong vaginal aroma. 
I've involved your sister in this conversation now, Dee. I asked her what she thought. Next well, jo- week, we'll talk about what your sister's opinions on it. JoJo's words were, her pussy smells like hot garbage. But anyway, the question <laughs> is, should he be a mensch and tell her to go see a doctor? They're not, I mean, they're not dating. He just kind of hooked up a couple of times. But should he be a mensch instead of just ghosting her, saying, hey, listen, you know, your pussy be stanking. Is that like, a menschky thing to do, to say that? To, I, th- to I think it? you'd be a mensch by doing I mean, obviously, you don't be a mensch to, uh, to, to deride or ridicule her, but I'm saying, <laughs> I'm just putting this out there. Maybe you should go get, go as your gynecologist. But you would be surprised at Kate Rambo's response to this. So uh, if you go, listen to the second show, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Download, uh, sign up today, and uh, you can get you uh, access to uh, Sick and Wrong Second Show. And just for a few bucks more, the $10 tier, tier uh, you get our Sick and Wrong News segment. Uh, this week, we were talking about Bono being embarrassed by U2 songs. Big surprise there. Um, lesbian M&Ms. I, right, I'm still so upset about this green M&M because I want a green ep- M&M to represent me as a slut. And they're taking that away, so I have no representation now as a slut. I know, it's like a hip lesbian M&M now. I don't want that. I want my slutty M&M. Keep her. <laughs> um, also, the band Wright said Fred happens to still exist, which is bizarre. <laughs> and not to mention they're Nazis now. So I uh, get our Sick and Wrong <laughs> News segment, the $10 tier, as well as Sick and Wrong Overkill, which, uh, Kate Rambo, you did like kind of a Polish killer roundup, sort of. Yeah, Psychos from Poland. Psychos uh, from Poland. I did a lot better with my pronunciations on that one because I've been practicing all week. Go check it out, people. Patreon.com slash sickandwrong. We do appreciate you uh, supporting the show. You, I mean, you you are the reason why we keep going every week. Uh, also, if you want some Sick and Wrong merch, you can go to check out the T Public store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Uh, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. You'll never believe this. You're never going to believe what happened, Kate Rambo. Another death. Another Everyone celebrity the death. Minute, man. It's just God, fucking popping off, aren't Why they? it always has to happen in January. The first month of the new year, let's just kill all our rock stars. So Meatloaf, uh, one of Kate's favorite performers, has died at the age of 74. Uh, he's done lucky to get to 74 because he's, so, he's had bad health. And I mean, a man of his size doesn't get to 74 quite often well and not to mention he's an anti-vaxxer he um was he's a libertarian isn't he very outspoken about covid railing uh with folks in australia about the vaccine mandates um he became i can see where he's coming from i'm just gonna say that with meatloaf because he was like fuck it if i die from it i die from it but the world's gotta go back to normal and i was like yeah yeah fuck it why not He's paid the ultimate price for his beliefs, but I guess. But I mean, if you're going to be in public, you you might as well. If you're going to go into a bar or restaurant, and they say, "Please wear a mask." Wear a mask, or don't go in that bar or restaurant. He was flying on a plane, and he was upset because they had to wear masks on the plane. It's like, sorry, dude, that's this is society, and some people are concerned about getting COVID. Meatloaf is the type of person where if you say, "I'm sorry, sir," we've run out of fries, he would probably kick off. Well, I think you know uh, I, mean. I think it's like we ran out of fries and we don't have any fries on this airplane and you got to wear a mask. And he just really kicked off about it. <laughs> um, but apparently he he uh, he had to cancel. A, a, um, I guess he was working on a show called I'd Do Anything for Love. Uh, but uh, they'd cancel it because he came seriously with COVID and the condition became uh, critical very quickly because he wasn't vaccinated. And uh, so he ended up succumbing to uh, complications from COVID, and that's how he died. 
So shame. Yeah. But um, how else was he going to go out? It's a bit of a blaze of not a blaze of glory. I'm surprised but... he lasted that long. I mean, he's a pretty big guy. I didn't think he'd have a heart attack or something. Uh, well, he had a stroke like 10 years ago. He's considered one of the greatest rock singers of all time. Um, his uh, first record, Bad Out of Hell, sold an astounding 65 million copies. Uh, many hits on that one. Yeah. Um, he uh, ended up having a sequel years later called Bat Out, Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Which is um, good. Lots of people don't like Bat Out of Hell 2, but I do. And it's one of my drunk favorite records. I pop it on when I'm drunk. I had a number one hit. I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's about uh, pegging. I, you know I like that, that song. I like that song. It's about pegging. Did you know that? It is about pegging, and I like that song. And he I like the one that um, he also wrote for Celine Dion. Also about pegging. Also about pegging. Canadian pegging. <laughs> um, you know, he was in a few movies. He was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. He was He's in, Eddie. He was in Spice World, the movie. He is. He's in Wayne's World. And, and uh, his... he's in Roadie with Blondie. And that's where Blondie invented Cowpunk. Unforgettable is an unforgettable character um, in the movie Fight Club, remember? With his, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm bosoms. leaving out his most famous. <laughs> um, with bitch tits. I don't think I've ever seen Rhodey. How did she, she made the first uh, punk country song? Uh, Cowpunk, yeah, because they covered Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. And do you know what? I say that Blondie's version of Ring of Fire is better. Is better than, better Johnny, than Cash's. Johnny Cash's? <laughs> yeah, fight me. <laughs> Many, uh, oh, you're feisty today. You really are. <laughs> Sounding off about the, the death of Jews. And now you're like, fight me about cowpunk. I, I don't care. about Blondie. <laughs> about either. Um, <laughs> so uh, Meatloaf's real name was Marvin Lee Ade. Apparently, I never knew that. Um, as, far, as, uh, far, um, as for how he acquired the nickname, he had a football coach. They called him Meatloaf because of his weight. That's you know that? not surprising to me at all. And plus, that's a very, like, what, 1960s, 70s, 70s thing. You'll play defense because you look like a brick of meat. Yeah, I bet you they're probably like, you're, you're going to be a lineman because you look like, uh, you're built like a block of meatloaf. Um, I've never been a fan. I'm playing this uh, ending the show because you're a fan of meatloaf. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of Americans, he wasn't as popular here as he was in the UK. He belongs to Britain. Uh, Battle of Hell was huge here, and I would do anything for love. I think it was number one for like the craziest amount of time. Rocky Horror is obviously so fucking British. Like he belongs to Britain. I mean, I but might I be wrong. Shocked. A lot of people probably really do like him in the states. Yeah, there was as well. a lot of people on my Instagram. A lot more Americans than what I thought, but a lot of it was like my dad used to blast this. It's like, oh, well, that's why you love it because it was like your dad. Nostalgic. Like, I think it's just in institutionalized into British people to love me love. Yeah, never been a fan. Never owned any of his records, and I usually turn his songs off when I hear them. But yeah, anyway, we're gonna us, so now technically, so do you. <laughs> um, we're gonna end the show here with uh, this song from his nineteen. Uh, uh, no, wait, this is his follow-up classic, um, "Bat Out of Hell," two back into hell. Um, so yeah. this is a duet he did with Cher called uh, "Dead Ringer for Love." Can I just point out that Cher and Debbie Harry may they outlive everyone. Did Cher also invent cowpunk? No, Cher has just invented being <laughs> fucking fabulous. Uh, the main reason I'm playing this song is because it's under five minutes, thankfully. <laughs> because all of those other ones that you picked out were like nine-minute songs. And, uh, well, I my, two, my favorite is da uh, uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And I've done that at karaoke where oh I've sang God. both Elaine's parts 
and meatloaf's parts. Oh, man. I'd rather masturbate with it was a, a handful night. of glass. Anyway, rest <laughs> in peace there, Meatloaf. We're going to end the show here with Dead Ringer for Love. We'll be back next week with the tribute to Harrison P. Lovecraft. So people, email us. Send us your favorite clips. Give us a call. And it's going to be live streamed. I'll be announcing it more on uh, social media. Um, but definitely, I think we should all take part and uh, send them off to Valhalla the right way. Until then, take a sleazy.
sing in Polish key. Oh, no. <laughs> ah! how, do, how do you say take it sleazy in Polish key again? Biel's to obscona. Biel's to obscona. Like that? Yeah, right, Biel's to obscona. Do you know, uh, how do you say fuck in um, Polish? Um, Musakrakova is fucking crazy bitch. Musakrakova. Musakrakova. All right, um. Piedorich right. is fuck. 